Welcome to our Agile Tales, where we share the various successes and trials we've encountered as we navigate corporate levels and political waters to transform the business to be adaptable to this forever changing world. Today, we have a special guest with us, Joe Justice. Joe works globally as an interim executive for Edge organizations, bringing multinational companies twice the work in half the time. He's a TEDx speaker and a guest lecturer at both MIT and Oxford University in England. In 2006, he applied Agile to automotive manufacturing, founded Team Wikispeed, and set four world records. Joe joined Tesla in 2020, where he operated Agile at Tesla from the company headquarters. Let's welcome Joe as we bring him on to explore Agile at Tesla. Hi, Joe. Thank you for being in another episode of our Agile Tales, where we're going to explore Agile at Tesla. Thank you, Munwei. Thank you, Jeff. It is my honor and privilege to collaborate with you again. Thank you so much. Let's dive right in. I'm very excited to ask the next group of questions because we are getting into the product work, the product development. So you mentioned that the definition for the sprint is you ship actually after every sprint, right? I know some companies cheat and stuff. So my question is, can you give any examples of the type of things that actually can be delivered in a three-hour sprint? There's a lot more I wish I could talk about, but some have been shared for one reason or another. So I would like to, as many of those as I can think of right now, I'd like to share. One is a faster charging system. The number of kilowatts in, or it's really kilowatt hours, into the battery pack from a charger is actually a heavily marketed and very powerful metric between electric vehicle manufacturers. Porsche announced they could get up to 350 kilowatts in, but then did a recall, limited it. Now they're not sure about pack life to be determined. What I'm trying to say though, is it's that important that people really try to get a high number. So you don't need Elon saying, let's increase the number of kilowatt hours, the amount of electricity that can go into the pack in an hour, sustainably over a long duration life of the pack, at least 10 years. So anybody knows if I have an idea, I should just do it immediately. This is a good thing. What publicly happened is the Model 3, which is a very affordable car, far more affordable than a Porsche Taycan currently at present, got a whopping increase to 250 kilowatt hours. Well, why? Well, how? Sandy Monroe did a teardown and said, here's how, here's why. Well, I got to see part of that happening. And again, as it was ported to some other models, which now you can see on Tesla.com, you can see other models have that number, even higher number that just propagated. There was a group of people sitting or standing, actually, there was no chairs, standing around a machine that bends tube, solid tube. It's a computer. It's a CNC tube bender is what we call it. You draw CAD, you draw the 3D shape of where you want the pipe bent and you hit go and the machine tries to do that. You have to calibrate the machine because sometimes the bend springs back and the machine's pretty good at compensating. But anyway, it's trial and error. Like all engineering, by the way, a master plan doesn't work. It all actually ends up being trial and error. So the person who actually had the idea with a group of people is standing around this machine with the laptop. They're drawing the CAD and they're hitting go. They're looking at the parts and there's this huge bin of parts to be recycled 
And I say, can I watch? And he says, sure. They're totally approachable. I hang out with them. And I start marking the DOR and DOD of their cell, like as part of my Agile at Tesla work. They get it right. And they explain to me the mechanism as to why this is going to enable faster charging. They say they had had the idea about 45 minutes ago and they got it right and it passes all tests and they hit the go button. What that does is now those parts are what's forked into production. So all car from that second onward got those parts and suddenly charging kilowatt hours was significantly improved. That's what it was. Someone had the idea. They knew where the machine was. They went on to the video training apps on their phone to learn how do I use this machine, which is part of why there's a massive effort to make the machines more intuitive to use. None of these machines need to be more complex than playing a game on a tablet. None of them do. And yet a lot of them are still like line code, like Unix. So there's a massive collaboration with the manufacturers to skin them to make it as easy as playing a skateboarding game on your phone because they don't need to be harder than that. In any case, you learn whatever the complexity of the machine is, and you try to make it easier, but you learn it with training apps on your phone that anyone can watch at any time, and then you go for it. And it's fine to make huge piles of scrap, because what's the value of that upgrade? Billions. Billions. So if you made $11,000 worth of scrap, or even $11 million worth of scrap, that's fine. It's totally fine. So you attack it and you just self-organize to attack it. Another one was heating the charging ports. Some people that live in freezing climates, like where I grew up, are familiar when there's freezing rain or melt and then freeze again, you're on a gasoline car, your fuel door can get frozen shut and you have a choice. Do I damage my paint scraping this thing open or do I wait or what do I do? That's one of the reasons why in really cold climates, heated garages are popular insulated heated garages. So at least in the morning, you could go directly to fuel up the car because you know your fuel door isn't frozen over. Well, the same thing, of course, happens to anything that opens and closes, like the flap over the electric charge port. Well, gasoline, you don't want a heating element right over your fuel door. It's possible and responsible to do well, but you need to be careful because you don't want heat near the gasoline fumes up to the flashpoint. So if you're really careful, you could do it. But if you had a runaway or an electrical short, that'd be an explosion. Way more gasoline cars explode than electric cars. Of course, electric cars are less than 1% by total units sold compared to the number that would explode or catch fire of gasoline cars or diesel. Well, the same problem exists in freezing rain, your charge port door could get covered. Well, someone had the idea, what if we put a heating element in the charge port door and again, it's now public information. There is a heating element, the charge port door. And there's no button to say, thaw my charge port. The car already knows the temperature outside and it already can detect precipitation on the windshields or on any of the cameras. So if it thinks there was precipitation and it guesses there might be freezing precipitation near the charge port door, it guesses for you. It uses some machine learning and it detects your near charging. It will heat to above freezing the charge port door, which has no negative impact. There's no gasoline fumes, right? It's just a non-problem. Well, that's all infrastructure that already exists except a heating element. Gluing a heating element into the charge port door is about as easy as ironing a patch onto a shirt or, or your piece of clothes. That's just not a technically challenging activity. 
you adhese the heating patch on. And then software, when you already have a robust API, is not that hard to have a version one. When you can roll back in less than five seconds across the whole fleet and you can update at any time, it's low stress to make a software update. So you can say this software works well enough for now. Let's ship it because we can always change it in seconds. So don't overthink it. And you can do that. This is not a health and safety critical operation. It's a heating element in the charge port door. That absolutely just went out. And many, many, many more like that. A lot I don't get to talk about. They're not public yet. They exist in the field, but they've not been discovered or advertised. Wow, that's a very good example to sort of give us an idea of what you actually mean by that. Now, where does user experience design actually fit into all this? Because I know user experience design is very important for Tesla. So where do they fit in? Before Tesla, when I worked with Bill Gates, I was a scrum master for Bill Gates in Seattle in 2008, 2009, 2010. We had two human factor PhDs on the agile team for which I was scrum master. I would dream to have UX expertise at that level in any team, no matter what they were doing. The contribution was so high. Now those people ultimately became cross-functional. They could do more than just enhance the user experience, but they were phenomenal and very deep. And they helped train, they helped propagate the essential skills of UX. So everybody could do A-B testing. Everybody could do customer interviews, the essential aspects. They propagated that. And the deep knowledge they presented as needed at all times. So I was spoiled and started to understand how phenomenally valuable people with UX, UI, user experience, user interface expertise are for any team. Well, Tesla's products are gorgeous. Even inside the factory, many things are gorgeous. It's motivating to humans. Humans respond to beauty. That's very ingrained potentially in our DNA. For those of you who read the book, The Selfish Gene, you may understand the chemical signals screaming out inside us when we're near beauty of any type. It's very hormonal and very intrinsic in living things. That's why things continue to live. So beauty is an incredibly important factor. And Franz champions that like Elon champions the overall mission. And everybody cares because when you're around beautiful stuff, you notice things that aren't beautiful and they do wear on you. So you might propose Kaizen or Kaikaku, incremental change or massive change to upgrade that, replace that as needed. Well, Franz hunts around in elegance for lack of aesthetic. Not only Franz, but Franz really champions that. Franz goes to different facilities to be involved and attempts to support anyone interested in elegance, simplicity, and beauty without compromising function or safety or even profitability. Because you have this charismatic champion, it's very easy for everyone to champion within their level of interest and enthusiasm. Charismatic leadership is really under understood. All the Musk companies are good examples of that. Keeping the organization flat while giving charismatic people the room to run is absolutely important and maybe a primary operating structure that I don't think is well understood, especially by most masters of business administration programs. Wow. 
That is definitely a very different kind of thinking. Now you mentioned before about something called walk up simple, so that within、yeah. seconds anyone walking up to it can figure out whether they can contribute or not. So the interfaces are made simple and practical. I'm curious, who designs and builds those interfaces? Who knows what needs to be built and What happens when those interfaces need to change? Who、we'll、look at the big picture so that it's coherent? In other words, when and how and who does the engineering designs and architecture? Okay, so when you walk up to a new work area, the people there, whoever is there, introduce you to the definition of ready, definition of done, any standard operating procedure if there are any. Sometimes there's posters. Sometimes there's a video on your phone. They try to get less than a minute, but the idea is the shortest amount of time for you to be productively contributing. Whoever's there tells you, "Here's where the video on your phone is," or "Here's the poster," or "This is the poster." But last shift we changed this this way, so try to do it more like this. Or our part yield is actually bad. We don't have a good standard operating procedure. This is the best we have. We're in a bad shape, so of course we always want innovation. But now we need it. Our yield isn't even very good yet. Whatever the state is, whoever's there is your introduction to it. When you're there, if you improve the state of the art, if the definition of ready and definition of done yields are better, or any of the relevant metrics are improved, it's your responsibility to try to communicate that in a walk-up simple way. No matter who you are, no matter what your native language. It's your job to try, to whoever's there, to whoever else is there now, and whoever will be coming soon. So, very often you'll update the definition of ready with a marker, a big visible marker on something visibly in the space before you leave. You've talked to people, you hope, but you've written something, at least some notes, and then you try to visit that place again at your next opportunity to see if it's running well. But it's on whoever's there. If you remember through the law of two feet. Anyone can go anywhere, so it could be anyone. So it's a crowd responsibility. Initially, that came from whichever team started that piece the very first time. But again, they just did walk up simple too. They walked to the only area of open pavement they could find and started trying to do something, and created the first standardized operating procedure by writing it probably on a piece of blue tape on the floor with marker because that's what you had. Wow, that is interesting. Okay, I've also heard you say that sometimes team will divide up to form like maybe six people to do designs, and when、yeah. the design is done, then they swarm with really big teams. Can you elaborate more on that? Like, how do they know who will do the design, and how long are those design sessions? Like, what one sprint, three hours, and how does design even fit into the Scrum process? Oh, awesome, awesome, awesome! Well, agilists have been measuring team size and its impacts on communication channels for a few years now. A lot of the people that have joined Tesla never consumed that data. They're not necessarily hardcore agilists, like an agile trainer or something. But agile trainers do have a mathematical model that seems to match reality really closely. If you have three people and they want to collaboratively solve a problem, that's the best. Because there are only three communication pathways required for each person to truly try to understand each other's points of view and contribute, if you can, even as equals, to an innovative solution. When you go to four people, interestingly, it's not four lines of communication. You also have these cross 
lines of communication, it becomes six. It becomes less efficient to try to collaboratively solve something, to try to deeply understand each other with four people. And it just gets worse from there. It's not quite exponential, but it's a large growth. Six people, as agilists have measured, is effectively the maximum if you want collaborative problem solving. So when it comes to design, the teams as a rule are six people or less, three is ideal. What you don't want is to not be full stack, to not have all the knowledge to make a meaningful contribution. In a traditional company, you might have someone who, when they were in college, they were flexible. They took a lot of different courses. In their first job, they're like, I can do almost anything. What do you need? Well, for the last 11 years, maybe they've only done procurement. They've only reviewed procurement contracts. So they don't feel so flexible anymore. So in a traditional company, you have that. And you're told, let's make a new bumper for the Model 3. That will involve procurement. And they're like, yeah, but I only do procurement. What do you mean make a new bumper? So it breaks that mindset. You'd need a team of 150 people if you wanted to go into Ford or GM or Volkswagen or Porsche and have them make a team to make a new bumper fully from end to end, including certification and in production and on sale and maintained. You'd need like 150 people minimum because of this siloed model, skills-based. Well, in Tesla, interestingly, people can come from another company. It happens all the time. And they may have only done procurement for the last 11 years. And Tesla will post jobs, procurement expert wanted, needs flexible mindset, teamwork ethic, et cetera. They're like, okay, you're gonna be doing more than just procurement. We honor your procurement skill, but you're gonna be going wide. So they post a job that says procurement so people understand it, they can apply. And they get in and they're not in procurement. They're in Tesla and they're in a team. You can't have more than many of them in a team where the cross-functional culture would die. They'd start handing off to each other and say, well, the procurement part's done. I've got nothing to do. They don't get it. Their job is to become cross-functional. But if they're thrown into a team with maybe five cross-functional people, they get it. You don't even need training. You're in a team with five cross-functional people and you're doing design or whatever it is you're doing, a cost reduction measure, something. And you start to become cross-skilled because most of Tesla is walk-up simple and not all of it and no company's perfect and it will never end. But a lot of the company is. These teams can come in of six people or less and problem solve or innovate cross-functionally. And design never ends. There's no design phase. It's just when is it the focus? When is it the bottleneck or the priority? And some groups of people are doing it constantly everywhere on every part. It's not like the suspension design has finished. <laughs> it, never, it never happens. There's a version of it that's tested road legal that's in production. We're in production. It never stops refining ever. Just the suspension on the Model 3 is nuts. There's this upper and lower control arm, which most cars have some version of it. Tesla's is plastic. They're the only one. They're the only one with a production car where it's made of plastic. People are like, that's not strong enough. You couldn't do that. And they're like, we've done the engineering. You actually can. And people are like, but I've never seen that before. Like, that's the idea. We actually have radical innovation constantly. You have even in mundane parts that people think we figured out suspension. It continues to innovate every day 
in production. So design never stops. It's aided by walk up simple because then someone with 11 years of only procurement, it's gonna be scary anyway, being asked to do something other than procurement. But it's at least clear enough that they can get started. They can pour their mind into it. They can get involved. As they grow more cross-functional, they're like, well, okay, now I have programmed a FANUC robot. I never thought I would do that as a procurement person, but I did. In fact, I did it 10 times yesterday. So I have reasonable confidence. And then the next day, well, now I'm doing FANUC, FANUC robots. Oh, okay. I guess I'm now a robotics programmer too. Three months after that, they're just cross-functional people. They become what I call black belts, where it's not T-shaped, where they have a little bit of skill wide and one deep part. They've filled in the whole box. So design happens this way. That is definitely a very different kind of thinking, especially when people talk about T-shape these days a lot. I'm wondering, now this may not happen in Tesla, but it definitely happens in traditional companies. What if someone tried to create a plan or design, but no one pay attention and all swarm around another plan or design, even though the other one was better? This happens actually- all the time in every company, Tesla too. I believe this is part of why Elon pushes first principles so that people try to accept whichever design is better according to physics. Outsourcing as many decisions as possible to machine learning helps that because machine learning doesn't care about who dresses better or has more friends. Machine learning cares a lot more about physically, according to physics, which is superior. So there's a lot of stress of build an ML stack to make the decision for you. If you were there to creatively solve problems, when it comes to weighing decisions, understand our biases, let computers do that. That helps. Again, we mentioned this in podcast one. For those of you who haven't listened to the podcast one or two, I highly recommend it. In podcast one, I talked about how LBGTQ community continues to rate Tesla as the number one place of work. I think this is because truly people aren't even aware of what you look like or what your orientation is or how you talk or anything. It's too fast to care. Imagine if you were filling sandbags to prevent water from flowing in inside a preschool. You're just there with whoever's filling sandbags. Afterwards, you're huddled under a blanket, recovering, drinking coffee provided by a care team. And they say, that person next to you helped you a lot. And you say, yeah, yeah, we really worked together. Holding the bag, filling the bag, holding the bag, filling the bag. They're like, where were they from? What color is their skin? Were they a veteran? Were they an adult? Were they a child? Blah, blah, blah. And you're like, I don't know. I saw hands. We were filling sandbags. Maybe that example is a little traumatic. I don't mean it to be traumatic. It's actually incredibly fun. But when you're moving really fast with purpose, it does not matter. You do not even notice most of the time. And now we're all wearing masks anyway. So it's like even that much harder to see. So (laughs) yeah. Whereas in traditional companies to get your plan accepted, you need to sell it and you sell it with yourself, with your history, with your credentials, even with your likability and your ability to clearly articulate Ideally, the superior choice would be made. 
ideally, right? So that means you wouldn't be selling it. It's simply, is it clear is the only factor. Well, machines work only on, is it clear? So attempting to get machine learning involved in important decisions helps. This is definitely a very different way of thinking of product development. I need some time to wrap my head around that. And I have so many more questions. Yeah, unfortunately, we're running out of time. We need to wrap this up. Let's see if we can get Joe to come back again and continue discussing some more about design, product development, and other questions we have. It would be my honor and privilege. Thank you so much, Joe. Awesome, Joe. Thank you again. Appreciate you. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you, Munwei. You're phenomenal. That's all the time we have today. Next time, we'll pick up where we left off as we continue to explore Agile at Tesla with Joe Justice. You don't want to miss it. Thank you so much for listening to our Agile Tales. Feel free to ping us on our agiletales.com.